You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. The 75 shows we have done over the past year and a half focus on the confluence of digital and human advice. We also talk about the strategies that wealth managers, asset managers, annuity companies, workplace firms, and fintechs are using to help investors, participants, advisors, and firms achieve success. Today, we're talking with a firm that took a unique approach many years ago to both asset management and distribution, and they've enjoyed extraordinary success. DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, is known for its unique approach. And today, we're going to talk with two key players at DFA, one on the asset management side and the other from distribution. For this week's show, we are speaking with Caitlin Hendricks and Sean Jabberzadeh. Katie and Sean, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. It's nice to have you both on the show. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having us. Caitlin first, and then Sean, let's start with you providing some background and color on what you do at DFA. Katie? Sure. Thanks. I'm on the research team here at Dimensional. I've been with Dimensional for seven and a half years now. And when you think about research at an asset management firm, you often think about equity analysts, you know, research analysts trying to identify mispricing, trying to find stocks or bonds that are trading too low or too high so so people can trade on those. At Dimensional, our investment philosophy is that markets work, that markets are efficient, prices incorporate the aggregate expectations of market participants. And so we use information and prices. We lean into the power of markets. So on the research team here, I think it's a lot more fun instead of trying to identify mispriced securities, which time tells us is is pretty difficult to do, especially systematically. We spend our time identifying what drives differences in expected returns. So I'll give you an example. One is if we look at the U.S. equity market, we see that small caps tend to outperform large caps. We focus on small cap securities, overweight those. But our research also focuses on implementation, and that's where I spend a lot of my time. So if we focus on the small cap example, those can be expensive to trade. Wide bid-ask spreads, high trading costs. How can we think about executing that efficiently? There are portions of the small cap market that tend to significantly underperform. We exclude those. So those are some examples bringing to life how implementation can take it from academia, paper returns to net of fee returns to investors. Uh, And that's really what I focus on doing at the research team here. That's great. We'll talk a little bit about whether that has evolved or not in a little bit, but more on that later. Sean, why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on on the distribution side at DFA? You've always had an interesting and unusual model, which uh, I have to say I, I've admired for a long time. But uh, Phyllis, what are you up to? Yeah, thanks, Jack. Well, so I'm a vice president on our global client group, and I specifically work with a segmentation of our clients that we consider as enterprise firms. So consider national registered investment advisors with large footprints, hundreds or thousands of advisors or financial professionals serving their end clients. And as Katie said, if the research team at Dimensional is spending quite a bit of time on trying to find out the drivers of expected returns on the global client group, to your point, Jack, of being relatively unique in the industry, we're thinking about what drives greater advisor success. And so once they're compelled to use our investment solutions as fiduciaries for their clients, what we're supporting them on is ensuring that we bring the best of communication and business strategy such that they have the full support of a partner like Dimensional to be able to ensure that the investment piece has all of it needs to make them successful. Because it's one thing to have an investment approach. It's another one to be able to articulate it. And it's a whole nother challenge to keep clients in their seats 
when things are sometimes disappointing. And so really the full focus of our global client group is to support the advisor and the financial professional in their endeavor to ultimately support their end clients. And we'll come back to that as well, because I hear an evolution from the original DFA, which uh, had a very small group of folks and followers and adherents and fans, to now a, a more global approach to uh, larger firms and all the advisors there. So we'll come back to that in a minute. So Katie and Sean, again in turn, please bring us up to date on the DFA story as the world continues to evolve. Please explain how things are changing with regard to your respective roles and what you were especially excited about and what you're doing at DFA, because the markets have changed uh, from at least uh, recent times or recent decades, and now they're more challenging. And certainly the distribution landscape is in, in is fast pill-milling down the hill and changing seems like every single day. So Katie, when you started off and talk about what you're seeing from an investment standpoint, and then Sean, talk about what you're doing from a distribution, particularly as you start to work with larger firms. Yeah, I think that's true. I think something that we've seen a lot of change recently is having much more of a demand for investor-specific investments, customization around their portfolios, and especially around their tax management. So over time, we have decades working in this space, delivering separately managed solutions for ultra high net worth or institutional investors and focusing on tax management specific needs. But more recently, we're thinking about how can we bring those types of solutions to smaller minimums. And so we're thinking about this from an implementation perspective. When I talk about tax management and investor-specific tax management, this is kind of a buzzword in the industry now. I think this is coming up a lot. And a lot of people, they think about tax loss harvesting. What we're focusing on is going beyond tax loss harvesting. How can we deliver this investor-specific tax management at every step of the investment process. And it's really how design and management and trading all talk to each other. So this is something that an example I talk about, I mentioned to Sean, I was traveling over the summer with my, at the time, 10-month-old. We were on a transatlantic flight and I'm trying to change her diaper in an airplane bathroom in one of those flap down changing tables. And I don't know if you've you know, had the pleasure of using those. Whoever designs those is not who uses them. They are not made for ease of use or efficiency. And really, yep, when we yep. you want the front end and the back end talking to each other. And so tax management at the investor specific level, that's a great example. And we design portfolios in a tax efficient way. We exclude REITs, for example. They pay typically non-qualified income tax at a higher rate every step of the process. And just one example, you mentioned, you know, the market environments. The first half of this year, difficult market environment. The second half of this year, also difficult market environment. But we ran a case study of our live separate accounts, for example, over the first half of 2022. The market was down about 20% over that period. We harvested meaningful losses in those accounts, about 14% on average, Investors can use those to offset gains in other investments or in future years. But we also captured a strong value premium. So those portfolios, on average, beat their benchmark by 2%. So it's this integrated implementation process, you know, from front, middle to back, talking to each other allows us to deliver it. And so that's really our focus, bringing this institutional approach to more investors at lower minimums. Gotcha. I won't ask you if you had to use the changing table with any of your clients so I'll leave that for another time. 
Sorry about that. <laughs> Sean, so talk about what you're doing at DFA, how that's a bit different. My, my sense is you're operating differently than you did, at least in, in the early days of DFA. Yeah, and I think I've got a good sense of what you're referring to, Jack, because I've had the privilege of being with Dementia for 16 years and going. And I think back then on the distribution side, we were fortunate, to your point, to really help grow with the independent advice movement starting in the early 90s. But we didn't have a lot of guys and gals that were supporting the distribution side of things because we were really a research outfit working with institutions and we had a lot of scale in that way. And so when you had financial professionals coming to us and interested in working with Dimensional, we had to somewhat pick and choose uh, who we would be able to expend our resource and time with just because of bandwidth. And as years have gone on, I think what you've seen at Dimensional is one, a recognition from the outside of our walls about a very robust approach with solid implementations, Caitlin just mentioned, that can actually help your clients create a differentiated story for your business so that it could be a win-win. And Dimensional has really changed its tune over the last two decades to say, you know what, we're not going to wait and see if we reach different growth levels. We're going to ensure that all parts of the organization are prepared if we have the privilege of growing with our constituents. And so the people, the systems, the integration, even internally at Dimensional really started to ramp up. And now to your point, Jack, we don't have to pick and choose who we've got the time to be able to support. We're able to support a growing movement within the independent advice space, whether that be a registered investment advisor, someone that is at an independent broker dealer, folks who are working on the insurance side that want to provide some wealth management services. So we've been really able to boost our support of that community so that no matter who is interested in using Dimensional, we've got the resources, the people, and the platform to be able to serve them and meet them where they need to be met. Because as Katie mentioned, it's one thing for an investor to want kind of exactly what they need for their investments. But financial professionals are humans too, and they all have very unique businesses. And so we need to be sure that we can take everything that we have at our disposal and tailor a client support mechanism such that it helps them have the most success that they want in their businesses. Because some folks want to be the next biggest firm in the industry, and some folks are happy with their lifestyle businesses, and some folks are somewhere in between. And how did that transition go? Because I always think of DFA, and I'm not day-to-day student of everything you do at Dimensional. How did you make that shift? Because that's a pretty significant shift. You, you were quite, frankly, exclusive to certain types of advisors. I forget the exact parameters, but I remember it was a quite an exclusive model to describe that transition and describe uh, how available you are. And it sounds like it's primarily in the independent RAA channel. But if you just sort of take us through that. Yeah, absolutely. I think what it goes back to was capacity. Um, and so we had a handful of folks doing everything from the taking all the great work our research team does and translating that into terms that financial professionals can take on, understand, and decide how they want to incorporate in their portfolios. The distribution team was also running a lot of portfolio analytics. So that's that it wasn't just an idea, but you can actually help compel them that it was the right thing for their clients. You have the distribution team also doing all the communication support, whether it be running an end client event for them, sitting down across the table from their end clients to help support the advisor to win new prospects or transitional clients to a new sub investing. And so I think it became a scale issue where you had a few folks doing everything. And so when you speak about the transition, how that went, that ended up being very deliberate about creating verticals for each of those subject matter expertise across investment communication, analytics, data support, communications, events, such that within the distribution model, you had experts that then were well integrated with different parts of the organization. So you can scale the opportunity set in the audience that we could serve. 
And so that really came with a deliberate approach to the structure we have internally. And I'm proud to say that we continue to expand that. So if I look back just three or four years ago, as an example, we didn't really have a organization inside a dimensional that focused on all of the study groups that we run. Well, now we actually have a head of communities and a team um, that is uh, working with Hurricane Krause that is serving the hundreds of study groups, executive forums that we run. Also, as an example, because Caitlin brought up our subway managed accounts, that group helped us stand up to advisor councils dedicated to the topic of separate managed accounts, such that when Dimensional was thinking about if and how and when we would expand from what we've done for a long time in the separate account space, we were hearing directly from our clients. So the feedback loop was alive and well. So I think it's just an example of being very deliberate, very focused, and not taking for granted that something that you can do well, you can even do better when you have some folks focus on it. From what I'm hearing from both of you is that DFA has evolved over time, as you would hope and expect, that it started a pretty exclusive club, actually, as I recall, and it's now much more broadly available, and you've really been a leader in the whole SMA evolution. What I'm hearing is you continue in that role. I got to believe that to do what you're talking about, not only did you have to build out the infrastructure and the and the support, as, as Sean was describing, but also technology has got to be a critical part of what you do. So, Katie, if you'd kick it off and talk, how is technology impacting how you manage portfolios, how you conduct your research, how you uh, help uh, achieve improved after-tax returns, all that? And then, Sean, if you'd maybe talk about the role of technology as you go to make your services available more broadly in, in the marketplace. I think something Dimensional does well is bringing together this use of technology and operational scale and ability with human touch. And there's a few things that have evolved over time where we can bring in technology to improve our operations. So one example Sean mentioned recently, the separate accounts. We used to serve you know, separate accounts in the ultra high net worth space, maybe a billion dollars across 20 accounts. Now we have in that platform, it's about a year old, $750 million across a couple hundred accounts. So we need technology to deliver that investment experience to more clients at a lower minimum. In this space, we realized we could go and buy an existing technology provider solution out there to help us deliver these accounts to lower minimums, or we could build it ourselves. And we decided to build it ourselves. And it's really for that full implementation process like we were talking about. That way, our front-end systems could talk to our back-end systems, and we could build all the downstream processes in a way that is efficient and scalable, but also in a way that delivers the dimensional investment experience. Just because we're delivering the same approach in a different wrapper, we don't want to give up uh, the efficiency, the flexibility, the focus on on higher returns and lower costs. So that space, I think, is a great example. We decided we're just going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to focus with the advisor council, like Sean talked about, what do people need and build the technology ourselves to serve a wider client base. That's great. Sean, what's going on on the distribution side in that evolution? Yeah, I think to use an analogy, uh, you know, back in the day, you had a handful of folks that had really good perspective on the business, the clients nationally, but it was more like digital Zoom. You know, they can kind of see what they saw. They knew what they knew in the meetings they were and to the extent they were communicating with one another. Over a decade ago, we were running it a few years prior through a third party, but we brought in-house a benchmark study. And the benchmark study allowed Dimensional to ask all of our advisory clients to submit information about their businesses from 
their profit and loss statements, how they're spending on marketing, human capital, how they invest their assets on behalf of clients, what their goals were, what their challenges were across growth and marketing and client sentiment and so forth. And we've run that program now for well over a decade. And now you can think of that as optical zoom at its best, because now there's no guessing, there's no high-level perspective, but you can actually dig very specifically into different segmentations of our client base and begin to tease out perspective on, well, what are some aspects that make a particular firm grow at a faster pace than their peers? And now we're then able to take that information and those insights, share them at a broad level when we do conferences or workshops, kind of one-to-many, but then we actually go into each of our financial advisor professionals' offices and we have review meetings with them. And we review their results relative to their peer groups. And it's not about a firm doing something right or wrong, but it's about demonstrating to them, if you're trying to make a change in your organization, in your client experience, in your marketing approach, in terms of how you approach growth, well, here are some things that your peers in the community are doing. Here's some of the information underneath there with respect to what systems, what processes, what tools, how dimensional is supporting them hand-to-hand to ensure that they can lead into better success as well. And so when you talk about technology, Having a platform that can take thousands upon thousands of data points across thousands of organizations and then teasing out information has been something we've invested heavily in. And actually, just this year, we now took something that was very paper-oriented through submission and delivery in PDFs, and now our financial professional clients have access to an online dashboard through Dimensional's website. And so now they can look at things in real time, they can do their own sorts, and it's a lot more flexible and tailored to what they need. And so technology has been a big part of how Dimensional can continue to push the boundaries on being a better partner to firms than we've ever been before. So similar to what you're doing on the portfolio management side with harnessing data, harnessing technology to make create insights and, and smart decisions, you're doing the same thing on the distribution side. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Dimensional has always been a very fortunate position, Jack. As you mentioned, we've had a lot of fans and longtime clients that entrust us to have conversations with them that sometimes go far beyond investing. And we never wanted our perspective to be based on our opinions or hunches. And so you're exactly right. We said the way we approach investments is about robust integration of the best ideas. Well, let's be sure we do that with our extraordinary community of financial professionals. And it's been a huge success. And now we don't only do it for their business. We also run an investor study where we're able to have a technology engine behind it such that advisors can go out to their end clients to get an updated perspective on how are things going, how are the services being valued, and what can be improved. And we work alongside the advisors to help them on the accountability front afterwards. No wonder there's a business school named after your phone. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So before we talk about where you see DFA and the industry headed in the future, let's take a step back. I'm always curious, how did you folks wind up in this business? Caitlin, when you started off, how did you get rolling on this? And then uh, Sean, same thing. How did you get started? And I'd love the story. It usually has nothing to do with what you intended way back when, but let's hear it. Yeah, my graduate degree is in financial economics, a very quantitative focus. And before joining Dimensional, I worked in economic consulting, mainly expert economic analyses in securities litigation and international arbitration. 
So it sounds like a different path, but there actually is a lot of overlap. In the litigation setting, market efficiency is actually a critical piece of the puzzle. So I often worked on cases of class action fraud. And the fact is that any allegedly fraudulent statement made by a company is baked into the share price of that company. So there's this idea of fraud on the market. And so when I joined Dimensional for years, I had already lived in this reality of information and market prices, just in a different way. And now at Dimensional, instead of looking back at an event that already happened and establishing fraud and liability and damages, I'm now using information and market prices to look to the future, to sort securities on differences in returns and and build solutions for clients that benefit from that information. So it's similar, but a lot more fun being outside of that litigation setting and uh, the litigation hours as well. Um, But some overlap there. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about you, Sean? Interestingly enough, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, So (laughs) when Katie was talking about litigation, I'm like, I was all about that. Uh, So when I reflect on, on my childhood day reports, it was always about wanting to be a lawyer. And when I got out of college, uh, UCLA, I needed to get real world legal related experience. And a friend of mine was working at Dimensional at the time and said, hey, they've got this legal position open. Why don't you take it? And I came in and interviewed. And the woman who was in HR at the very end of my day was like, hey, you did a great job. And you know this position, kind of entry level position in the legal department is yours. But I will say that there's another one in the compliance department and you'd be able to work directly with our global chief compliance officer. I think you get a lot more hands-on experience. So I'm like, you know what? I don't know any better. You seem trustworthy. I'm going I'm to take your advice. So I started a dimensional in compliance and she was not kidding. We were going through a very big regulatory audit as many asset managers do. And so I got to learn a lot about the firm in a very short amount of time. And I was just enamored by the professionalism, the collaborative nature of the folks and so forth. And about a year after I had started in compliance, I got a chance to move to the global client group. And I guess my joke is I've been deferring law school ever since, but I couldn't think of anything better than building relationships, working on projects to help people. So I feel like I'm scratching the itch I wanted all along, but doing it in finance, which has been great. That's terrific. That's wonderful. So I know you're both focused on the present and uh, what you're doing day in and day out. You also spend a lot of time, I'm sure, thinking about where things are headed. So where do you see DFA, our industry, headed over the next three to five years? Katie, when you kick it off? I think it's three things that we're already focused on. One is tax, another is ESG, sustainability, and a third is flexibility. So investors are demanding that curated tax management, customized for them. And there's also an increasing desire for ESG values aligned investing. And then it's flexibility and robust investment design that make it possible to deliver those things in an efficient way net of cost. So I really see this focus Mm -hmm. of this curated experience, but bringing it to more people, you know, as Sean has said before, democratizing that that kind of experience. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. where Dimensional is going, as well as the industry. We're responding to to industry demand too. Yeah, I have to say that I, as I listen around, that that word tax keeps coming up. It's like, it's not going to go away. I'm curious, what role is tax in your mind? I mean, I think it was coming anyway, but certainly these rugged markets have have only put the spotlight more squarely on taxes as vitally important. So maybe comment on that if you would. I think the market environment, it can be a bright spot that 
advisors and financial professionals can have a conversation with their client when the market environment is really difficult, but we're doing something about it. The plan that we put in place, we're ready for this. I think that can be a really important behavioral aspect. Also, changing regulatory environments, you know, especially with elections going on and with the current political environment, people are thinking about what are tax rates going to be in the future and how can I plan for that today? So we see it coming up um, in different ways. And then, of course, as we're approaching year end, it's always on top of mind. But we're thinking, how can you incorporate in this taxes in your process through the whole year? Let's not wait until year end to have these Mm -hmm. conversations. Sure. Let it be a bright spot, a point to have a conversation around at any time. Gotcha. Gotcha. I agree. So, Sean, tell us about what you see over the next three to five years for both DFA as well as for uh, the industry. Yeah, I would agree with Caitlin as far as where the industry is headed, which is a continuation down this path of meeting clients where they need to be met, but on the business side, hopefully without having to sacrifice scale. And at the end of the day, a lover of profitability to sustain that growth to be able to serve clients. I think when I think about dimensional and what we've done a really good job of that I just see us continuing is if you think about the arc of the advisor movement, you know, most advisors in the early days were just doing money management, right? The value proposition was solely on the portfolio that you're managing. And then at some point, financial planning began to enter the space. And so a financial advisor did more than just manage your investment portfolio. They made sure it linked up with a overarching plan to assure that you can actually have a higher probability of meeting all of your goals and aspirations. And then now you're getting a lot more as time goes on, whether it be, as Caitlin mentioned, aligning their values through ESG, customizing their taxes, preparing, or sometimes advisors have to choose, do they insource additional services or do they outsource other partners? And that's happening across estate and tax. Things that have tangentially, of course, something to do with their investment portfolio but arguably also very important building blocks of what clients are trying to do for their lives. And so I think where Dimensional is going to continue to push and forward is going to be a institution and organization that advisors and professionals can lean into for objective, very robust research and information about a topic, solutions that are the best tools that are transparent, low cost, that where the advisor can feel proud about including it in the overall picture of a client and then helping the advisors, supporting them with the communication, such that when clients have questions, or to your point, Jack, they're going through difficult market cycles, the advisor has all the tools and resources they need at their disposal to walk the client through what they're doing, why they're doing it, and reminding about how it ties into the bigger comprehensive picture of their lives. Terrific. So I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I also want to know three key takeaways from each of you, and a, plus a, a personal story, so we have, we'll have we make sure we get all that in before our time grows nigh. Katie, why don't you kick it off? What are three key takeaways you'd like to make sure our audience leaves from our discussion today? I think the first is that we can use the power of markets, information, and prices, and we can beat the market without trying to outguess it. The second key takeaway, I think, is implementation matters. Paper returns are not what we take home at the end of the day. And I think the third is flexibility, just being able to adapt for changing needs of clients, changing market environments, building it into our portfolios. Just flexibility will will help deliver those efficient solutions. Terrific. Sean, how about you? Yeah, the first is it's increasingly important to tailor the client experience beyond a one-size-fits-all because I think consumers don't want that in a lot of parts of their lives. And so investments are no different today. The second is it's probably never been a better time to partner with tech-enabled platforms 
to expand your service offering to clients such that you can increase your retention, you can actually give more value than you ever have. And I think there's so many partners out there. And then finally, I think the attention of selecting a few extraordinary partners to be able to help you across everything that you need to do in your business, such that you don't have 10 partners that you need to coordinate amongst, but just a handful that can really give you everything that you need for your business growth. That's great. Well, thank you both. This has been very enjoyable. I'm I'm glad I've had an opportunity to get to know you and uh, look forward to some future conversations, hopefully. So uh, as we look to wrap up, there are uh, one final question that I always love to ask. Away from work, what is something that you do outside of work that people who may not know you well would find interesting or surprising, something you're particularly excited, passionate about, interested in that would be a surprise? Katie? We spend a lot of time outdoors. And my husband and I love to go backpacking and hiking. So we go on uh, long-term treks in different places around the world, um, just you know, carrying everything on our backs. And that's been a lot of fun. But now that we have an infant, we're trying to think how we can have our hobby evolve. So we actually took our 13-month-old camping over the weekend. We have an adorable little infant sleeping bag and, and thinking all that through. So <laughs> we love doing that and yeah, spending a lot of time thinking what we can do next. So he or she? That's she yeah, she's 13 months old. That's great. Yeah. And how did she fare? How did you fare? She did great. It was actually <laughs> the second time we've taken her camping. The first time we took her, she was six months old. And it was much easier when she was not walking, you know, just having <laughs> milk. Now she wants food. She wants to run around. And so she had a great time, but we were wiped out. Yes, I, I, I believe it. Actually, years ago, I have four sons all in their 30s now, but... I used to carry them all around at various stages early on in a Jerry backpack. There's a you know child that they probably still have today, much fancier, but a lot of pictures of walking the uh, trails in uh, Connecticut at the time. That uh, so I, I can relate. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great memories. Yes, Sean, how about you? What uh, what's something you're particularly interested, passionate about? People might find surprising. Yeah, passionate. Uh, it'll have to be on the theme of kids. I've got three young children: five, seven, and eight and a half, and. The two older ones, uh, I'm a big fan of basketball, and so they've gotten into youth basketball. And so I actually coach both of their teams. I also lead a upper division in the community. And it's just during COVID and, and coming out of it, it's been a really um, awesome opportunity to be more involved in my kids' lives outside of school where I can't be with them, uh, but also giving back to the community. And so I'm a big uh, NBA fan and UCLA Bruin fan, so it's nice to begin to indoctrinate my boys <laughs> uh, and hopefully my daughter. I, I, I didn't realize UCLA played basketball. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Katie and uh, Sean, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it for our audience. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we do here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Katie and Sean. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com. 